Thank you, Samson, and uh, good morning to everyone. Uh, I spoke about a month ago on 8th of March, and some of you might have been there, and the topic for that was on planning, uh, our planning, God's planning, how we align. And actually, this, uh, this topic came about for me uh, when I was studying the book of Job. Uh, and this started about two years ago, this is even before the pandemic started last year. And as you know, the book of Job is also about pain and suffering. And uh, that is the big theme of today's world, right? In the midst of all this pandemic. And it's not just today's world, but it is a it is an endemic condition of humankind to the extent that uh, that uh, people even define life as pain and suffering. For example, uh, Dr. Mahudra uh, in India so many years ago, he said that life is pain and suffering, right? Uh, and so uh, in this session today, what I want to do is I want to uh, connect these two things. One is the planning of God's project, right? We said that God is doing a project last time, about a month ago. We discussed a little bit about the project. You want to, I want to start today with understanding some of the deliverables of this project and how this goes about. And in parallel, I want to develop this theme of pain and suffering. Both of these are based on the book of Job. Right? And then come to a conclusion how God's project and our endemic condition of pain and suffering itself, how these two merge and how these two uh, are connected. Yeah. So let me start with God's uh, project that he's doing. Right. Also, uh, some of you might not have been there, so I'll just do a little bit of recap so that we are not completely blank uh, on this. Right. So, what we said was that God is doing a project, not a ongoing, he's not managing an ongoing operation on this earth. He's doing a project. A project is characterized by something that is delivered. It's a one off thing, it's a delivered, something is delivered at the end of the project. Something deliverable is being done, and then the project is over, right? And the project is typically planned backwards. You start with the end in mind. When you're doing an ongoing operation, for example, you are like running up a service or you are uh, building a house or whatever it is. Um, sorry, when you're running up a service or you are producing some cars or something like that, it's an ongoing affair, right? You do a forecast for firm forecast for the next one week, one month, and then it is tentative ahead. But God doesn't do like that. His plans are perfect. Yeah, so a project has an end in mind, and this is what God is doing. He is not just running an operation, and he's uh, uh, not just uh, you know, uh, forecasting and doing things, and uh, it go on and on forever. He's doing something, there's an end to it, and after that, his project is over, then comes uh, Revelations 22. This project gets over in Revelation 21. So what we said is that there are two final key deliverables for this project to get finished, right? And as you see in Revelations chapter 21, because at the end of the whole project, so if you see there, what we see is that we see the bride of Christ coming from the Father to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Right? And that is the final deliverable, marriage and the consummation of the bride with Jesus Christ. 
us in all of these for the bride is has is the father's sons they are all the family of the father adopted as sons they are brought together as the one bride of christ and they are presented by the father to jesus christ and that's the end of the project and before that of course there are whole lot of tasks to be done the great commission to gather all the father's children together uh, that they may be made into the one bride being made perfect everything is there but this is the final deliverable right so if this is the final deliverable that we are to be with jesus christ to be his bride and to be as one what is the key task right the key task if you see here is right that um that we are the family son and the bride of christ that means the key task is love right to love one another you cannot uh, think of a marriage without love right and if we are to be the one bride of christ then we have to love one another right now what exactly does it mean to be the bride of christ okay now we are many people many persons but jesus uh, does he marry each one of us is he polygamous right if he's got millions of people saved and they all come into the new earth does he need that he marries all of them and he's polygamous it's not like that because if you see in john chapter 17 jesus asked for a very very uh, you know a singular peculiar thing which most of us we just gloss over we don't see it we just read it and we just continue but there are three there's one thing that he prays for three times in john chapter 17 that's jesus is high priestly prayer he's praying for his bride he's praying for his disciples in john chapter 17 verses 11 21 and 22 three times he asked the father and says father i pray that these they may be one even as you and i are one Okay. Now just think about this. Jesus is saying here that you, Father, and me, we both are one, right? In the Holy Spirit, and that is where we get the concept of the Trinity from, right? So when we say that we worship the Trinity, are we saying that we are polytheistic? That we are worshiping three gods? We don't, because we say that it is one God, three persons, three in one. It's one God. We are monotheists, right? So when Jesus says, "I want all of these to be one, even as you and I are one," what Jesus is saying is that the bride of Christ has is built on the same template as the Trinity. That means we may be millions of people, but we are to come together as one, even as the Trinity is one, and be as one bride. Many persons, one bride. And if you look at this template, then what we see is that if you say Jesus and the Father were one, right? They were one in love from before the foundation of the earth. That is what was meant for this, right? From before the foundation of the earth, Jesus says, "You love me." They were as one, deep in love with one another, deeply committed to one another, of one mind, without any quarrels. without anything whatsoever so deeply together as one that we worship them as one god 
And that's the bride which is being delivered in Revelation chapter 21 by the Father to Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. The bride is one in many persons. That is the kind of love that we are supposed to be looking at when this final deliverable of this project is done. And that's why Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, right? There's only one commandment he ever gives. Right? Whenever people came to him asking about the law, he finally brings it all out and says, all of these hang on to two things, love God, love your neighbor. And if you see, we know below these two laws are just one word, love. And that's what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, in John chapter 15, 12, 11. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 22, all the apostles, everyone says, love one another. And this is the way in which you fulfill everything. Okay. So when we are to be built up as the bride of Christ, as one in many persons, this is a fundamental thing, love. We have love. Now, how many times do we hear of this as the primary task of the church? Because you see, this is primary because Jesus also says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. In John chapter 13, verse 31, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. And in John chapter 17, he says, then the world will know that the Father sent me. Right? When we see that you are as one, even as you even as the Father and me are one, when you live like this, then the world will know that you that the Father sent me. Right? In other words, the Great Commission itself depends, right, uh, quite a good deal on this love being displayed in the body of Christ, in the pride of Christ. Without this, people will look and say, Hey, they come and say, God so loved the world, so he sent his only begotten son, and look at them what they're doing, right? They can't even love one another, right? It's a bogus claim, right? And secondly, our own sanctification. We say that we want to become holy, we want to be like Jesus. If we want to be like Jesus, Jesus says, this is who I am. I am part of this trinity, a person in love with the Father, so you have to become like me. Loving one another, right? So everything, everything that we are called to do starts from this one fundamental thing which we have neglected. Okay. Now this is where we are starting from the project. This is God's project to bring us together as one in the identity of sons and of one bride of Christ, and for our destiny to reign with Jesus as His bride on the earth. Now let's move to the other side. Pain and suffering. Okay. Now, <clears throat> uh, if you see, pain and suffering is one of the most endemic things in this world. Right? There's uh, all kinds of pain and suffering. Um, we won't go into any of them. Right? All we can say is it's immense. It's endemic. Every person goes through it in some way or the other. Right? And there are innumerable sources of pain and suffering. Right? It's very easy for us to say, oh, this is because of that, or that is because of this. Oh, you must have sinned like this, so that's why God is punishing you, or this or that. But if you start looking at it, even the Bible itself 
if you start looking at all the various instances where there are people who are suffering, right, you will find that there are so many different reasons. Right? For example, God declared enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent in Genesis 3 15. Right? So there is a war declared. Right? And in a war, there is always pain and suffering. Right? So it may nothing, it may not be anything personal at all. For example, the case of Job. Right? Job did nothing wrong, yet he went through the utmost pain and suffering and affliction. Right? Merely because he was on the side of the seed of a woman. He was on the side of God, and Satan was against him. Right? Secondly, all kinds of punishments have been meted out on us, right? Because of sin. Right? For example, uh, God cursed the ground and said, On pain you will bring forth the truth, and in pain the woman will bear children. Right? Now we go through this pain. We have to struggle for food, we have to work, we have to do all kinds of things. Uh, a lot of things are dependent on this, right? Satan is constantly attacking us. The Bible says that in Revelation chapter 12 that he has been thrown down on the earth and he is going out in rage against the people of Jesus Christ who believe in Jesus Christ. There are natural things which are going on, right? There is the effects of all kinds of natural processes, our own actions, all kinds of things that we do. It's innumerable. It, you cannot even start trying to decipher what is the source of this pain or what is the reason. We may never be able to find out the specific pain, the reason and the uh, source, right? For example, we very easily we say that, oh, God must be disciplining us, right? He has, he has sent us this virus, so he, he is disciplining us. But let me tell, ask you this question. Has God spoken and said, you, James, because you did this sin, that's why I'm sending this, or did he warn you before that? I'm sure there's no James here. So that's why I took the name. Right? James, you are doing this thing wrong. If you don't do this, I'm going to send this virus on you. Does he say that? And then after two, three warnings, and then he sends the virus. Right? How many of us can confidently say this? Why are you saying this? Because you see the Bible, every time God sends punishment on Israel or anyone, he warns them several times. And then we at the end, when nothing else is working, he sends them and he says that, look, I warned you again and again from my prophets to so many people, but now I'm sending you this, this punishment. Turn back from me. Just ask yourself, many of you are fathers, right? Do you go and belt your children every now and then without giving them any reason? Just put some affliction on them. No, you don't. You tell them, look, this is where you're doing wrong. I'm warning you. If you don't change, then I will get some punishment. Right? So how do we expect that God is sending all kinds of pain and suffering without telling us specifically why? Right? So you see this this whole topic of pain and suffering to try and find out what exactly is the reason, what is the cause, what is the source? Is God doing it? Is Satan doing it? Is it the natural? It's a mug's game. It's impossible, mostly impossible, unless and until God reveals to us specifically and says very clearly, this is because. But then it has to be verifiable. Right? It cannot be subjective, subject to one person. Right? So we need to be very clear on this, that it is very difficult. But what is very clear is that our response to pain and suffering right, is 
what makes a difference, right? A response is what makes a difference, right? What we see is that suffering is lonely. It is deeply personal, right? What I suffer, even if I tell it to you in the most deepest detail, you can never imagine what I'm going through, right? In Proverbs 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 10, uh, it says that the heart knows its own bitterness, right? And a stranger does not share its joy, right? Neither my pain nor my joy, however much I tell you, right? You can share in it because only I know. And in the midst of all this pain and suffering, each one is going through, right? What is the only response that we can have? Right? The only real response is physical presence, right? To stand with someone who is going through pain and suffering and say, look, I'm here with you, right? I don't know what is it that you're going through. I can't feel it, right? I can only imagine it, but I'm here with you. Because I love you and I'm standing here with you. You're my brother, or it's just that you're my friend. I'm here with you to stand with you, to help you in whatever way I can, and to, to let you know that I'm here beside you to love you. Right? And that's the only meaningful response in the middle of pain and suffering. There's no use talking about theology, there's no use talking about reasons, there's no use giving rational answers. Right? It doesn't help. But even secular psychologists tell you that that is the worst thing that you can ever do. Start talking about it and coming up with all kinds of things, right? Reasons and things. Just be there for them, love them, and help them, right? And God Himself demonstrates this, right? In the midst of the pandemic pain and suffering of this world, He sent His Son Jesus Christ to be there physically with us. That's why the Bible says he came in the flesh to be there for us, so that we can lean on his breast, right? As the Apostle John did, right? When Jesus was reclining at the table, it says, in the Last Supper, it says, the Apostle John laid his head on the breast. Jesus came and offered his breast to humanity, right? So that we may lean on him and find comfort in the midst of pain and suffering. And that's what we are called to do when we are to be like him. To go and love. It says, God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus Christ. And then after he sent his son Jesus Christ, he sent his Holy Spirit so that we may all completely and totally experience his presence, his physical presence in the midst of pain and suffering with us. And that is what is the only difference that we can make, right? Of love in action. That's the only force that can help people in the midst of all the pain and suffering that is going on. So now let's bring these two together, right? We said that the task of the church, <clears throat> right, in completing God's project is founded upon love. And if you see pain and suffering, the only valid response is love, right? So do you think that this is a coincidence that the task of the church to fulfill God's project is love. And the only response to the endemic condition of the world today is also love. It's not a coincidence. It is God's design itself that he has made things this way that when we seek his kingdom, right? When we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, 
we need to love one another. And in not loving one another, we are also treating the endemic condition of the world as pain. Right? Yesterday, I, while I was preparing for this, as I said, this is this whole thing started from my study of Job maybe two years ago. But just yesterday evening, one friend of mine, and many of you know him, he's a CBC member, he sent me an SMS message, uh, not a message, and he said, I'm feeling very convicted about the church's response, or the, rather the lack of women. Now he was actually speaking about a more specific case, which both of us we uh, uh, shared. Uh, when I was thinking about this, like, isn't this so true? Like, every one of us, we all, me and you, and every one of us, ought to be convicted by this because this is our big negative. Right? We find it much easier to say that, okay, let's go and, you know, preach the gospel of God. Let's go and be good Christians in the workplace. Let's go and uh, become better people. Let's stop getting angry at people. Let's, uh, you know, uh, tackle this sin. Let's tackle that sin. All that is good, fine, very well. But what Jesus is saying, what the Bible is saying, is at the core of all of these things, right, both things, that is God's project, as well as caring in the midst of pain and suffering, both of this, there is only one single thing, that is love. And that is what is neglected in our church today. That is what is hardly ever preached. And that is hardly any of the actions that we take, for example, our small group meetings and our uh, discipleship programs and you name it, any of our things, uh, none of them focus on this foundational character of God. So I want to leave it that with you and uh, 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 that we may think about this, that we may be convicted of this, that we may turn that maybe in our own churches, in our own workplaces, in our own ministries, in CBMC and elsewhere, uh, we may start bringing some of this into our teaching into our lives and into our world around us. So I'll, I'll open it now. We have uh, there are four minutes left. Maybe a couple of, maybe if there are any questions or any thoughts or any comments for the next one or two minutes, and then I will close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that you have designed everything so marvelous and that you bring together everything so beautifully and well that you are a God of love, as love comes from before the foundation of the earth, and you sent your son Jesus Christ, and you're gathering us together as his sons, and we made into the bridegroom of Jesus Christ, uh, that we may reign with him. And we thank you, Lord, that this response of love itself, this response of love itself, is what helps in the midst of all that is happening in this world today. So we pray, Father, that you will convict us in our hearts. Through your Holy Spirit, we will each one of us, a father, people, and CDMC, that we may not provide that kind of leadership that is there, nothing in our churches, in our hearts, in our families, in our workplaces, everywhere, Father. That we may not truly display this character of your midst of this world and speak of this, Father, and uh, that we may be built up in love. Uh, to be the people who you have called us to be, that you will take on the identity that you have called us into. And we pray, Father, that as we do this, 
your love will shine forth from us so that when people see us they will know that we are your disciples but when people see us they will know that you are the son jesus christ for us so that when people hear our words and say god loved the world so much that he gave us only the beloved son jesus christ that he died for you on the cross they will truly believe us and not say oh you are just telling us all kinds of things so father we pray lord that you would help us to come out of this uh, modus of self centeredness of this world that we are stuck in into what the the, the 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 complete and total uh, way of the world into which we are stuck into help us to cut out of that and come into your kingdom come into your uh, very trinity god almighty to experience that love and to love us in jesus name we